welcome to Ultra Catalyst. I'm your host, Stephen Nosek. We'll be exploring the one decision people make to drive change in their lives. Join me each week to hear from a variety of guests about what they did, the techniques and strategies they used, and how they're now leading their best life. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Ultra Catalyst podcast. My name is Stephen Nosek. We have a special guest today. And just remember, if you're joining for the first time, we're here to talk about those one decision that you might make to ignite that spark inside of you to change your life for the better. And that's just not your health and fitness. It could be your spirituality, relationships, financial, you name it. We're here to find out what people's lives are like and how they actually made that decision and what their life's like now. So please put your hands together with a special guest today, my very own friend that I've known for about three or four years through the 365 Driven Society and Entrepreneur Group, as well as Arate and many other mastermind groups that I've seen her in. Please welcome Kekui Kobiashigawa. Welcome. Thank you. It's like you were so close. Kekua Kobashigawa. Darn it. I, I'm going to get it. I'll have it by the end of today. I'm How are you doing this afternoon? Pretty good. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And I know you are a best-selling author. Do big shit. I love the title. That's awesome. You're also a speaker, a coach, and a mom. Yes. Excellent. Now, one thing that really stood out, and we were talking about this a few days ago, was your mission and purpose. So I know you from over the last 10 plus years, you've been doing a lot of fitness and coaching, but you've really found that you want to change the status quo for women, right? Because women are actually the leaders of the world um, and they need to step out from the shadows. And you talk about that in your book, which I thought was freaking awesome. Can you give us a little bit background of where, where you're from, kind of how you decided to get into the leadership mindset space? Well, so as you mentioned, I started personal development for myself. I kind of tripped and stumbled into it. I didn't really know what it was. You know, most of us grow up with um, this image of self-help being kind of like a loser's game, right? Because nobody goes to the self-help section. That means it's all messed up in the head or whatever. Um, so I didn't really have any real concept of what it was, but I, through the fitness world, something had introduced me to a man named Andy Frisella, mm -hmm. who, as you know, uh, became the, one of the founders of Arte. I was listening to his podcast and he, I listened because he was a business leader and I was just starting a t-shirt company. And I thought that's, you know, this is a wise resource. This man has grown this business from nothing as opposed to you know, a lot of people who come up through the corporate world, which is, it's still a, an achievement, but I wasn't in the corporate world. I was trying to build my own business. So I thought he was a great uh, resource and he is, but like what a lot of people find when they're looking for business development, it really, the remedial part of it is, is you development. You have to, yeah. you know, grow who you are, who you think you are, what you're capable of. If you want to, grow anything that is built on your back, your back has to be bigger and stronger. So uh, fortunately, I had found that personal development. I was in a 
abusive relationship at the time or didn't know at the time that it was abusive. I just thought he was kind of starting to treat me mean and he was he was becoming, you know, mm-hmm. these things that I didn't really have a concept for. So I didn't understand that it was abuse, that it was manipulation. But there was an episode of Andy's show where he talked about an ex-girlfriend that he had. And this episode kind of was the spark to me realizing that this was this relationship was bullshit. He so he was talking about this ex-girlfriend and how he knew that she wasn't going to be right for him. And the phrase that he used after he talked about that, he was like, you know, she was an anchor. And if you've got an anchor in your life, and he said, you got to drop the anchor and get a propeller. And that was the moment that I started, just started to conceive that my boyfriend at the time was an anchor in my life. He was going to be something that always held me back because he did not like my growth. And as I eventually got out of that relationship, um, the abuse did worsen before I managed to get out of it. But as I got out of that and started to heal for myself, I carried a lot of shame because I thought it was a me thing. You know, when you're abused, mm-hmm. you really are conditioned to believe that it's your fault. Everything you're doing is your fault. You caused this. You made them say that, you, you know, all of that kind of thing. Yeah. And that shame perpetuates the cycles of abuse because then we don't speak about it. And when we don't speak about it, we don't realize that we are not alone at all, which is what I had learned. I came out of that and I found out that it is extremely prevalent. Almost every woman will experience abuse of one form or another. And we, we have the idea that abuse means physical abuse. And there's definitely, you know, an epidemic of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. but more prevalent than that. And included in all of those domestic violence is emotional abuse. That's the undercurrent that allows all of that stuff to happen. And when I found out how prevalent it was, and I, in my own healing, realized what contributes to it, what are the societal factors, the mechanisms of enculturation that make us prevalent to it? What are the, you know, generational patterns and just all of the things that feed into letting it happen over and over and over. I realized, of course, what I had to do for myself if I didn't want to experience that again, what I had to um, undo in my children, because if I didn't know I was being abused, of course, I didn't realize they were absorbing and witnessing Mm -hmm. what was actually abused. And then I thought about it and I was like, heartbroken because I'm like, there's not enough resources for women to do these things. And I knew that the key difference between myself being able to stop this cycle and women who keep experiencing it was one, my education, because I had been fortunate to have that personal development and supportive circles around me. I had a few women that were really they weren't in personal development. They weren't in business for themselves, but they were supportive and they were loving and they were, you know, the kind of friends that you really hope that you find. I was really lucky that I had that. So those two components, as I looked across the board, that was what I had that a lot of women don't have. And so, you know, I'm all upset about it and it's not yeah. fair and okay, well, if it's not fair and you see the problem, are you going to complain about the problem? Are you going to be upset about it? Or are you going to do something about it? So that was the impetus to becoming a resource. I, I oh. can't see the problem and then not become a part of the solution because if I don't, then I'm just perpetuating problems. Yeah, yeah, you're still tied down to that. And it's interesting you said that because 
when, when you look at those other women that might not have been in personal development, they're seeing from the outside looking in. And then they're comparing to what their sphere of influences look like as well. And they're like, okay, what's going on in this area? Well, that's wrong. You know, we got to somehow cut that tether or that anchor or loosen it somehow. So you could start to see what real potential is in front of you other than what you're being fed. Right. I, I could relate to that. I was in a, a relationship with a young woman for many years and it, it was reverse. You know, it was her kind of doing the emotional guilt trip and abuse. And then I got to the point where um, I started to cut myself off from everybody around me. So the people that I was hanging out with, because her, um, how do you say, um, her persona or influence about the situation was greater than what, what I was putting out. And so it felt like I just kept getting shut down. Um, and, and I, I can't imagine other than observing something similar happened to my mom when I was, when I was young, but, uh, I can't imagine what resources would be available because like you said, it happens to every woman out there. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a physical, emotional, or, or any of the other things. It could just be the way that you're being treated. And, and then, um, like Ed said, kids aren't listening and doing what you're saying. They're observing what you're doing and how you're acting. And so I could, I could understand the, the undoing. Can you kind of describe what you had to do to, to undo or kind of change their perception of, of how you operated? I think I can't fully take credit for that because um, in the exact same way that they were absorbing that, a lot of, you know, deconditioning to them was the exact same thing. It was because I was in personal development and they were able to observe my growth. That was where theirs came from. So they, I mean, <laughs> you ask them, they spent a lot of years listening to Ed and Andy you know, podcasts, uh, as we drove around, we did a lot of driving because when they were small, they would go to work with me because I worked. Oh, yeah. So everywhere I went, they went. So if I was listening to personal development, so were they. And so by the same process that they had absorbed seeing me in abuse and, and normalizing that they then afterwards started to normalize learning for yourself, listening to better things, being more empowered because you have a broader perspective you know when you're when you're like you said when you're in that abuse and you kind of lose the circles around you because of the way that person has developed their control over you and it's mm -hmm. very much a development right because it doesn't start yeah. that way yeah it doesn't start that way but they develop that control that causes the circles around you to kind of separate you know personal development really opens that lens back up so that you can see this isn't right. Like, this, uh, do I deserve this? I don't deserve this. People don't deserve this. Why would I deserve it? And so they, you know, part of it was, of course, me talking to them as they had their own issues, you know, through mm -hmm. middle school and high school and, you know, bullying or things like that. And I would talk to them. They also, though, were learning directly from themselves, not only from the material that I was learning from, but because they watched me improve myself so then they had a better example than they had had when they were smaller and, and they were able to grow because lessons are caught, not taught. Yeah. yeah. To my improvement and, and integrate that for themselves. 
Now, as you were going through this transformation, right? Because that's essentially what it is, right? Some transformations happen very quickly. Typically, those are about faces. Others are a, a progressive one that take time, right? Because you have to process all the different things. And then you have to not only cut the main anchor, but you have to go through and remove all the little sandbags that might've developed over time from all those different experiences, right? It's things that you might not recognize that were holding you back at certain times, right? Because you're looking at it all at one time. And then when you slowly discover, oh, you know what? Why am I holding on to that? Let's get rid of it, right? During that transformation, did you start attracting more like people into your sphere of influence by the way that you were behaving and the outward that people could see from you? I would say not right away because I had to kind of be remedial. I had mm-hmm. to go backwards and really lay a new foundation for myself because there was so much insecurity that I didn't know about, right? I thought I was a very confident yeah. woman. I was loud. I was outspoken. I was bold. So I thought I'm very confident. What I didn't understand at the time, what most of us don't realize that it, is that a lot of the times that boldness, that loudness is actually a cover for mm-hmm. the insecurity, right? We, we're presenting this mask that seems like one thing because it's to hide um, the insecurity underneath. And that was definitely me. So at first, my insecurity was revealed to myself. I actually shrank a little. So I didn't really have a whole lot of potential to attract. But as I worked through all the bullshit that you have to dig out, because I like to say that every level up is another layer deep. But every Mm -hmm. time you grow, you really have to dig out a little more of, like you said, the sandbags, the anchors, the roots that are down there. You have to dig some of that out. When I got to the point where I had, I felt like I really become the actual confident woman that I used to think I was, that's when my energy changed. The way that I move changes. The way that I look at myself changes. And when the way that you look at yourself is powerful and beneficial, that's when other people look at you the same way because that's the energy that you're giving off. That's the energy they're going to see. Yeah, and and I'll tie this into the the book. I was listening to the audio book over the weekend, and and I think in one passage you say, you really got to look in the mirror right? And you have to love yourself for the totality, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the, the anchors, and then anything that you've had to dig up or fill back in. Because if you can't love yourself that completely, it's going to be hard. And I think you, you kind of paraphrasing, but you talk about uh, filling up your cup, right? But it's not the filling event. It's you need to have it overflow from everything that you're putting out there in the universe. Um, I, I thought that was an awesome strategy and, and technical overview of how someone could change their behavior of going from being more isolated, introvert with an extrovert type personality, right? To actually truly being fulfilled and being able to uh, command center stage like you've done over the last several years, which is awesome. I commend you for that. that that's fantastic. Yeah, it was very much, um, that was a result of uh, a girlfriend of mine. We were happy, especially through the pandemic, right? We had lots of really deep talks. Um, and there was a moment where, you know, we talked about something because I, I really did not love the idea of filling your cup to fill someone else. 
because mm-hmm. you're never really filling your cup. You're just kind of transporting it, you know, from one spot to another. Yeah. And she said something that is only poured into for it to end up somewhere else. That's a funnel. That's yeah. not a cup. And if you are not filling yourself so that you overflow, if you're literally filling so that it flows somewhere else, you don't even have a cup. And that was the spark that made me think about, well, then how, because people understand the cup, what can I translate that to? How can I put a different image that people will still be able to picture it? And it's like, truly, it's the overflow. When my bounty is so great, my love for myself is so great that you can receive it. That's when it's valuable. If I, if I pour out what I have, then I've given you my emptiness. And that's like, that's, you know, lessons are taught, not taught. That's not what I want to share with the world is I'm going to drain myself. If I want other people to be filled up and love themselves and see themselves as a valuable, you know, person that receives and has abundance, I have to show abundance. And that means that I have to overflow. Yeah. uh, What is that from the Bible? A cup runneth over right um right and and i think that's what you're describing there and when i look back in in my childhood my mom was a single mom of four boys right (laughs) strong ass woman uh but but there was times where i think she just exhausted herself so much because she was pouring into everybody else to make sure that we had uh, how do you say what we needed at the time even though it might not have been a lot um, to the point where she just was worked, right? She couldn't function. She couldn't really, how I'd say, like be herself, that jovial personality, right? It was more of a, uh, at times, uh, what's that? like a stage, right? Like a performance, right? Uh, she had to put on a certain face or a mask to, but behind closed doors, that's not how she operated, right? And uh, it, it's interesting, as I, as I reflect back on, on your book, I'm looking back, like, how can I observe that from a male to see what my mom was going through or the other women in my life? How can I pick up on that so I could actually uh, be a better partner or a son or, or a brother or whatever it is, or friend? And so it uh, definitely impactful book uh, within your story and the way that you describe it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. When when you're out and about and you're you're looking and attracting women for leadership, can you pick up on those things when you observe and have like a conversation with them? Like, can you see some, is there any telltale signs where they may be struggling in those areas? I'm going to say almost every woman is because even if she's not a mom, but the entirety of womanhood in, in our culture, where we are today as a society is still motherhood. Even if you don't have children, you know, the, the expectation that we are conditioned to is really servitude. It's, it's to anticipate needs. It's to, you know, be there caring for other people, for our friends, for our spouse, for our parents, for all of those things. And the act of caring is beautiful. If, if it's given willfully and out of love, but what happens is that it's often given out of servitude and obligation in which case it's just eating you up and almost every woman i've ever met has some sort of that 
internal exhaustion because they've kind of martyred themselves in the same way that I did that that exhaustion was almost a trophy right it mm -hmm. meant that I cared so much it meant that I did so much I tried so hard and almost every woman that I've ever met has a little bit of that because it's that martyrdom that is their signal that they are you know a good woman a good person um I would say that the the women who don't have that have stood out to me far more than the the others because those are the norm. But I have met very few women in life who have not felt weighted down by the obligations that other people want to put on them. I have very few women who have been able to say from the time that I've met them, mm -hmm. no, that I'm not available for that. That's a, that's some vulnerability right there right and i'd imagine it it doesn't get shared uh across the the biological line right like some of that doesn't get shared um sometimes it does and maybe we just we don't know how to interpret the signals from a male point of view right uh which is which is pretty common <laughs> uh it is there there are i mean a lot of it has to do with like family dynamics and cultural yeah. dynamics but it is at least at this point in our society it is more predominant that it gets you know um conditioned into our women than it does our men it men receive as much you know unhealthy conditioning as we do it's mm -hmm. just it's the other side of the coin right where we are we are not individual from each other men and women are you know there's there's it's a dichotomy but it's also a duality and everything that we receive that's negative and kind of self-harmful men are on the other side of that coin receiving different conditioning but stuff that is equally as unhealthy and self-harmful and just like women not realizing it not knowing it because it's so just bred into us and conditioned so heavily yeah yeah and i could also say that that it's it's definitely difficult to talk about right like i'd say what in the last 10 years from a male perspective there's a lot more uh, vulnerability sharing, right? Because mm -hmm. before that, 80s, 90s, right? Men would never say that, right? That was kind of frow frowned upon, right? Like uh, you're a wuss or whatever, right? And now it's a, there's more acceptance because we realize that there, there are some mental health issues out there. Um, and talking about your problems is, is definitely a whole lot healthier, depending on like range, range of sharing, sharing what you have going on, right? Everybody has some sort of problem at the end of the day, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the whole sharing aspect is that we don't feel like we're alone in these silos if we share. And when I was writing the book, I, I had to dive into things that I had not publicly shared before. I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, hiding them, but I had not been very open and I realized, you know, if I don't put these stories in there for women to identify with and men, I've had a surprising amount of men who have said, you know, I had the same experience, but just in reverse roles. Mm -hmm. If I didn't put these things for people to identify with, they wouldn't be able to resonate with the stories. They wouldn't be able to see that potential. They wouldn't be able to think that they can overcome what they're in if they don't recognize themselves at some point in the journey. But the silence that we're conditioned into, in like for men, you know, men don't talk about feelings. Men don't have feelings. If we don't. Say, <laughs> you're not a man, 
right? Mm -hmm. All that does is keep you so individualized and, and not aware that fucking every man is going through the same yeah. thing. Every man is looking at other men and thinking other men are winning so much bigger. They're making so much more money. Their kids are so much more well-behaved or their wife is smarter or like everybody is thinking that everyone else is doing so much better than they are. And by keeping that silence, it just perpetuates and, it, and it's, it's all bullshit because then we lie about ourselves because we think we've got to put out an image that matches what we think other people are doing. This is a conversation that I had uh, with a man, friend of mine recently. If you could realize that men are not collectively speaking <clears throat> on the level that you think they are, they're not as amazing as you think they are. They're not as rich. They're not as all of these things. You wouldn't feel so small. You wouldn't feel so like you haven't checked the boxes of manhood. Mm -hmm. If you would realize that all men are struggling the same way that you are, it's, it's yeah. that same. And like I said, two sides of the coin, it's happening exactly the same on both sides, just with different issues. Yeah. Di different issues, different perspective. And then uh, that, um, that fear of someone else's opinion and judgment. Right. Mm um and, and interesting lewis howells and andy frisella talked about that on a recent podcast right you have the 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 fear of failure the fear of success and then the third one was the the fear of judgment right i think that's a crippler especially when it comes to we'll say mental health or challenges right especially if you're gonna do a lot of comparisons or how do you say um like keeping up with the joneses right that's a common phrase of trying Try, trying to outdo or, or be as good as your neighbor, right? Same, same kind of thing. And uh, it is tough. It is tough. Um, did you see any inspiration from other leaders that you were looking up to, both men and men or women, that helped kind of help you curate some of your thoughts as you were developing the book? There are certainly um, lots of people who influenced in different areas. So there, mm -hmm. there are people who you know, I would look at them and I would see a relationship dynamic that they had with their spouse that I would, okay, that's what I want. I aspire to that particular dynamic. There would be someone whose business is doing well and they lead really well. And so, you know, that's something I aspire to that's within them. There's, we get this image that we think that there's like one big hero or, mm -hmm. or that any one person has everything together at all. It's such a farce, right? But you can look through your friend group. If you are trying to grow and become better as a person, there are probably people already just right inside your immediate circle who have something that you want to emulate. There is mm -hmm. not always, it's rarely, it's rarely going to be all in one person. But there are little dynamics in every relation that, right, relationship that you have. And I think it's it's easy to overlook that because they're normal people and we think that we're supposed to look up to like some one big hero right like there's oprah or there's Ed, like but yeah. there's so many of those people and they're very far between but we can be in as much as we can see in our circle of friends we can be the exemplary aspect of something whether it be a relationship or you know financial fortitude or parenting or any other aspect so throughout my friend group honestly there were there were a few people who were 
be exemplar for something that I want in my life. Yeah, that, that makes a lot, a lot of sense, right? Because you can't just like idolize like one person because the reality is, is maybe they might be great in that sport or maybe it's making money or maybe it's a material possession, right? But the reality is, is when they're not on that center stage, something may be crumbling or they're struggling, just, just like you described. And, and you kind of have to pick and choose which ones resonate the most with you. I, I will say, I, I like what you just mentioned about finding or identifying that one key piece out of your circle of friends or sphere of influence that you might pick up and say, you know what, I want that for myself. Or, you know what, how can I do that, right? And they're just little inroads to kind of get yourself out of the comfort zone, if you will. It's actually something that I teach to uh, my public speaking students. So longtime Toastmaster. And one thing that we do when I, when I teach a brand new group of uh, professionals to come in is to actually evaluate every single person that comes in to speak because everyone's going to say the same thing slightly different. They're going to have different mannerisms, different inflections, movement. You could learn from each one of them. And if you see something that you don't like or that didn't resonate with you, well, cross that shit off your list. Don't incorporate it into how you deliver uh, your presentation skills and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. And I think we can do that in every aspect of our lives. Yeah, I agree. Let's get back to the book and talk about the um, HBIC method, right? I know it's dear and near, um, heart, body, intellect, and cup. Can you kind of tell me a little bit more about the heart focus here? Your heart focus is going to be your relationships, the emotional aspects of your life, which personally I boil down to relationships. So it's HBIC, uh, meaning that you're going to put focused effort into each of these areas of your life on a daily basis. This is how you take care of yourself, is the things that are important to you. So earlier in the book, you evaluate these different areas of your life, mm -hmm. and then you create the ideals, the things that you want to pursue. And on a daily basis, you evaluate where I'm at right now. What's the next step I could take or what would improve this? So if H is heart, is emotions, it's relationships, then it might be, you know, with your child, it might be an extra five or 10 minutes early in the morning. You just go in and snuggle with them or in the evening, you know, whatever works, mm -hmm. but it's something that you normally wouldn't have done. If it's a spouse, then it might be, you know, you're going to call them for no reason in the middle of the day, just five, 10 minute conversation that really makes them aware that you're thinking about them and that you care about them. And it's, it doesn't ever have to be a big, big thing. It's the little things, honestly, that, you know, add up more. It's not buying your child the biggest toy or the newest system. It's not buying your spouse you know, a car or jewelry or something like it's, it's the little things that add up in daily life. So it's just putting that extra intention one more time a day, because maybe you already do one or two things for their benefit, but you know, wouldn't they be blown away if you did just maybe one more, if they just really knew that I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about you because I love you and I want you to know that. 
Yeah, that, that's excellent. That's uh, the power of one more, right? Ed Milet talks about that in his book, right? And uh, I see that, right? Especially on the heart one where um, I'll try to block pieces of my calendar just to go interrupt my wife's day. I say interrupt, right? Sometimes she's like, get away from me. You're bothering me or stop pestering me. Don't you have work to do, right? Um, but I like the different examples that you shared, right? Maybe it's a, a post-it or a message on a bathroom mirror or a text or just a random phone call at different times. Um, and I think the, the coolest thing um, for all of everybody in our audience is there's no cost to this, right? There, there's no cost. It's all unlimited. You could go out and do, um, uh, how do you say, uh, random acts of kindness to show that they have your attention, you know, yeah. because we're all working professionals to some degree. Sometimes we're head down and, and we just don't put the focus where it needs to be. And you know what? Maybe, maybe they don't need 30 minutes of our time. Maybe they just need a quick dose of, uh, hey, I'm here. I'm thinking about you. Um, what, what's your thoughts about this? Would you agree with that? It's such, it's such an easy thing to do. I think that's a part of why it gets overlooked is because it is such a, a minor thing. Like, well, it can't be that big a deal. You know, oops, I'll get it tomorrow. But that one oops rolls into another, rolls into another. Before you know it, you're like, damn, we haven't gone on a date in like three months. I haven't said something nice to her or him. For no reason in in like gee can I remember the last time I did that you know or when was the last time I read to my kid or it, it's so so little that it takes and it's such a huge difference uh, yeah it, it I think you also said this too but I'll, I'll say it anyways it comes down to intention right you, you have to be willing to take the action regardless of what their response is going to be or the time of day, right? You just have to, you have to, how do you say, make the time, right? We all hear, oh, I don't have five minutes in the day, right? And that's complete cop-out bullshit, right? Everybody has five minutes um, throughout the day, but uh, intention, I think that's, that's the word that I'm going to start using from now on, so. Oh, yeah, it all comes down to that. And then if we move to the B, so body, your bodily mm -hmm. health, and there are so many things people think about it only as going to the gym. Mm -hmm. There are so many other aspects that feed into your bodily health and emotional health is a part of that. But it might be, did I go to the gym today? It might be, did I be intentional about what I ate, what I fed into myself? You know, did I eat from Jack in the Box when I could have gone home and ate the homemade leftovers? It's, mm -hmm. did I think about, you know, the different aspects of my bodily health, which includes my mind, you know, because if you never, ever take care of your body, it's going to deteriorate. And that's, a, your mind is a part of that, your stress, you carry, right? How many people have chronic lower back pain or chronic neck pain because they carry that tension all the time. And having that intention for your bodily health might be as simple as I'm going to lay on the ground five minutes. Mm -hmm let my body chill out. Man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta rub my back. I just, when you said <laughs> that, I was like, dude, how does she know? Um, uh, I, I got a little tension, probably the laptop work, right? But how about intellect? 
Intellect is feed, in, intentionally feeding your mind something. And it might be reading. It might be, you know, studying a foreign language. It might be, I'm going to, I'm going to dance because it helps my body, you know, release stress. And that comes out from our, um, our, our mental load. Mm -hmm. It's just anything, again, having some intention with putting new information into your brain or solidifying the information. So you might've read something on, you know, Monday. So you're going to go back to that and you're going to, let me read it again. Let me think about it in a different aspect, or let me continue to implement it over the course of the week. Because repetition is, is really important. And mm -hmm. if we're trying to ingrain a new habit, it might be thinking about ways to um, make that solid, how to disrupt the systems that we have so that we can insert new things into it. It's just ways to feed your mind, feed your intellect, feed your view of the world. And there are so many different ways that you can do it but again like you said it comes back to just having that intention like what's the one degree of improvement or one degree shift back towards you know the direction that i want to move in that i can do today yeah and and it's interesting you say the the one degree right and in, in, in space and time if we just move one degree in our mind close up that's just this little bit right but if we go out a few miles, that actually covers a very large distance, right? And we'd be surprised at how much we could actually do a in a short amount of time, but what that compounds over the long amount of time. Uh, because yeah. just that little shift, or that one decision can have that compound effect over time. And before you know it, you look, you turn around and you're, you're on your plateau of wherever you've climbed. And you're like, holy shit, I've climbed a lot farther than I even anticipated to right? Yeah. Just, just through consistent action and intention. Yeah. And that one, and that one degree is applicable to this, to the, uh, the H activities, the things mm -hmm. that you, your relationships, that one tiny thing each day, if it were the same thing, if that, if that were that one degree of difference, like where does that take your relationship one year down the road, two years down the road, 10 years down the road? you probably will still be in a relationship that you might not be in if you didn't take that one degree, you know, every day for the last five years. And fingers crossed, all of those relationships would have evolved with that one degree over time through, a, it will, you'll be in a different place, right? You'll technically, you'll, you'll be the same person, but you'll be a different person with different perspectives. Uh, perspectives, intentions, goals, um, and everything else that comes along with taking just a, a one degree type uh, approach, which is awesome. How about the last one? Let's close out the, the book piece with a cup. So fill your cup, obviously, it means doing something that helps you feel loved, right? The, 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 the three foundational things that I learned that prevent you from being a person who is manipulated, who's mistreated, who allows those things uh, unintentionally in their lives is that you love yourself, you respect yourself and you take care of yourself and we forget those things. So what action could you do each day that makes you feel loved? It doesn't mm -hmm. always have to come from other people. Your husband does not always need to be the person that makes you feel loved or your parents or your friends. Other people, will feed into the value that you feel about yourself. 
but they cannot be the base of it because if they are, it can be taken away. If you are not the bottom line to your own love and respect for yourself, it's, it's very tenuous and it can crumble at a moment's notice. If someone were to leave your life, it's not, if you have, you know, a disruption, if you lose someone, all of those things can destroy you if you are not solid within yourself, because even when you are solid, those things are painful. But if you have your own foundation of love, respect, and care, you're not going to accept some accept someone else who wants to take any of that away from you. Mm -hmm. So it's your daily reminder that you're valuable enough. And again, it can be such a tiny thing. It might be, you know, I have a lot of energy right now. I'm going to put music on. I'm going to just I'm just going to dance around or I'm going to sing. It might be the H, the B, or the I actions for the day. Like, you know, what would, what would feel so good to me right now? I'm going to go, I'm going to go lay down with my child while they take a nap. Mm -hmm. it, it can be anything that makes you feel like this is valuable. This is important. And so I'm going to take care of it. What are the things that if somebody else did them for you, you would feel, oh, I feel loved. I feel special. I feel important. Be one of the people that gives you those things. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome. I love that method and that strategy. I am going to attempt to incorporate this into my day. I already do um, Andy's power list as, as one example, right? I got a lot of little things that I do. I also do what are called uh, these meditation dice. So they're six-sided dice. There are six of them. Uh, you probably can't see it there. But on them, they actually have... Uh, different sayings. So like these two are sun salutation and body scan. And so it's really to promote mindfulness out there, which I, which I kind of equate to, to that cup piece, right? That's that little extra bit and oomph that you're going to put into you being the person and, and showing up the best you can, regardless of what kind of shit storm is in front of you, right? We, we all have those kind of days, right? Um, let me ask a question. How do you, think this fits into like a work-life balance type place, right? Because you're, you're, you're working and coaching a lot of professional women uh, to improve themselves. How do you think this fits squarely into that, that old thought or maybe the current thought of work-life balance or does it even fit? I think the idea of work-life balance is misunderstood because we, when we conceptualize this, this phenomenon of having a balanced life, we imagine that it means everything is equal, but put yourself on, you know, like a balance board or imagine one of those people on a high wire. It's not right. It's not perfect. It's mm -hmm. constant shifting from side to side. Or if you're on a balance board, it might be forward and back as well. It's all directions. It's constant little movements in all directions. So the idea of balance being that everything is equal, that's where we fail. We set ourselves up for failure because we are trying to achieve something that's not actually possible. If, mm -hmm. if it's possible, you will always fail. And that consistent inability to reach it fucks with your head, right? It makes you think. Yeah. Because again, with that farce of everybody else is, is making this happen and I'm not, that's, it's a terrible cycle and you spiral in the wrong direction. So if you can understand, first of all, that balance means constant shifts in all directions, because there will be times in your life where your spouse is going through something and they need a little bit more of you. And so part of you will withdraw from other parts of your life. 
And there will be times when, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, there are times when you have to lean heavily into the business. And that means that your spouse needs to understand that part of you will be withdrawn there. Mm -hmm. You will come back, you know, there's ebb and flow in, in everything. And I think if we can think ebb and flow as opposed to balance, it's that, that concept, that thing that we visualize is a lot more accurate because nothing will ever just you know, there's no finding that center point and then everything stays there forever and ever. Cause that's just, that's, it's a farce. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a farce, right? It's like trying to achieve uh, perfection, right? That, that, that would assume that you'd have to literally stand completely still in every aspect. Right. And that's just, that's just not the case. Right. We're, we're li living beings. Right. Yeah. It's um. so there's, there's that first just dismantling the idea that there's balance mm -hmm. that's stable. Um, and then it's the entire concept of working your self-care into your life, as opposed to your life should work around your self-care. And there will be times that it can't, right? There will be times that um, you do put yourself second, like to your children or to your yeah. spouse or to your job. There will be time, but that can't be the dominant way that you move through life. If you are always last, if you are always working yourself into the gaps, you're not using the HBIC method. You are mm -hmm. still leaving yourself last. So it needs to be the underlying structure upon which other things are built because otherwise you're, you're still tenuous. You're still dependent. There's no interdependence if you don't have stable ground, there's only dependence and codependence. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The focus is for you to be able to contribute. But if you're only, you know, tiny little pockets of time, that cup's not overflowing. That cup is always empty. Yeah. If you can't take care of yourself, you're going to have a hell of a time taking care of everybody else, right? O over time, the drag on the energy, the stress, it's going to weigh you down and, and uh, th things are going to crack and break, right? And obviously it will look different from all perspectives. Uh, let me ask you this, um, for any, any woman that's listening to this, professional housewife, entrepreneur, maybe even a, a young teenage girl growing up, right? Where should they start um, within the HBIC method? What's a good jumping off point for them? I would say the C, the cup, the, the learning to take care of yourself in a loving way, um, because there, are, I'm going to say the vast majority of women that I have worked with and even women that I haven't worked with, but I've had, you know, like exploratory calls with them. Part of my process is finding the things that you like, the things that you love, the things that you're passionate about. And the vast majority of women, they don't know the answer to that because they've been so conditioned to focus all of their energy outward that when I sit them down and I say, okay, what can we incorporate into your life that will fulfill you? That will make you feel good. That makes you feel like, you know, the you that you want to be, mm -hmm. they don't have the answer for that because they've disregarded themselves for so long for, so for somebody who's just starting and especially for young women and girls, what do you love? What do you enjoy doing? What makes you feel good? What creates happiness in your life? Focus on that. Know what it feels like to be centered in happiness. 
and then start to build out from that so that you know when you've lost that. If you know what that feels like, then you know what you're missing when it's gone. But if mm-hmm. you never develop that, it's really, really hard to come back, quote unquote, to something that you've never had. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd have to equate that to, you have to get clear on what it is you want or who you want to become, right? And, 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 I, think, um, and I think you also mentioned this earlier, is you also have to recognize what you don't want right? Because that's, that's a big thing, right? Sometimes we're just so acclimated to our situation that it's hard to see that if I just take one step outside of my comfort zone, there's probably a shit ton of things that would fulfill my passion or I get more enjoyment out of, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a really, really sad truth. I, it's shifting right now. I can see in my children's generation and a little bit of the generation that's in between that they are learning that they're allowed to say no but my entire marriage was because I didn't know that I could say I literally had zero concept that I could say no to something that I could Hmm. say this isn't right for me that I could say I you know I appreciate the way that you feel I don't feel the same that was not even a concept I thought well, he said he loved me. So now this is where I have to be. I'm responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And if I had known at 18, at 19, at 20 years old, that I was allowed to say, and that it would be more courteous to say, I don't think I feel that same thing, or I don't think I want the same thing as you. If I knew that I could want and not want, my life would be different right now. And so many women that I've spoke to who are at my generation and of course older, we have the same concept that it's, you don't really have a choice. You have to take responsibility for the emotions of people around you and their wants and needs. Mm-hmm. You weren't allowed to say no. And I, I love that I'm seeing the very younger generations be able to say no, but um, us older people, we're allowed to say no too. We're allowed oh, yeah. to say, I don't have the bandwidth for that. We're allowed to say, I don't have the time or it doesn't match my goals or you know, whatever the reason is, we're allowed to just say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Per- permission granted, right? Yeah. Like no, nothing, nothing should be holding you back, but I could understand uh, um, growing up, hierarchies, cultural norms, um, family dichotomies, social circles, everything else. These could be environmental factors that, that might plant those seeds of uh, I have to be a follower in certain sense, right? I can't be the leader when I know I, I should be, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's definitely, that is something to get your head around to kind of break down, right? Because I could imagine it, it could take a long time to, to recognize that, that that's necessary, right? To be able to move forward and, and um, as you said, uh, take charge of your life, right? Yeah. It's a, you, you have to understand that you're never actually saying yes, if you don't have the ability to say no. And no is always an option, right? And I think some people don't recognize that. It's very hard to just, no. It's, that, that's actually the shortest sentence uh, in the English language, right? No, followed by a period, I think. 
Dude, this has been an awesome conversation. Now, I, where can the audience find you? Where can they get all your information? How can they contact you to schedule some introductory calls? And where could they pick up the book? The book is on Amazon. It's called Do Big Shit. Um, you have to make sure that you put the exclamation point instead of the I, because Amazon does not like foul language. Um, but you can you can reach me and you can find all my social media links on my website, K-E-K-U-A-K.com. So K-U-A-K. And you can um, send a message. You can request an appointment. And I do do exploratory calls uh, with anybody who feels like this might be right for them. Excellent. I got one last question for you. Where do you take the journey from here? So you've already, you're an author, you're a coach, you're into um, leadership development. Where, where are you taking it over the next few years? You know, you touched on it in the very beginning. My, I feel very strongly. I know that my mission, my purpose right now is to fuck shit up and change the status quo. Yeah. And I, I get some feedback. Um, some people don't like things like that, don't like feminism. And I'm going to offer to them that we are two sides of the same coin, men and women. We are two parts of one society. When one side rises, the other side can come up with it. It's not, you know, if my, if my ship is higher, yours will sink. No, rising tide lifts all boats. 100%. I freaking love that. That's awesome. I'm all amped up now. Um, definitely, definitely. No, I am definitely amped because you're absolutely right. When I, when I look at different entrepreneurs in the space, it's not saturated, right? We might see that it's saturated, but everybody could win, right? There is money to be made in every different aspect. There's people, what is it? 8.1 billion fucking people in the world that we could go out and help, right? I mean, so I stand behind you. I think uh, this is an awesome concept and book that you put out there. And I know you're going to continue to kick ass. And uh, who cares about someone's fucking opinion? It doesn't matter, right? Just keep charging forward. Yeah, your opinion is the one that should matter. Yeah, De definitely. Well, hey, I appreciate all your time today. Thank you for joining us today. Everybody, go out and check out her information. She just got the website. You will see that in the notes. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, we are publishing podcasts, Ultra Catalyst, every single week of 2023 and beyond. If you do have any questions for either of us, join us, reach out, subscribe. And until next time, we out.